welcome to week 10 of the What If series. This week, we are looking at the ninth commandment, which is, you shall not lie. Another way to look at that would be to say, what would the world be like if we told the truth? So we're here in downtown Chicago. We're asking people the question, when do you think it's okay to tell a lie? I think that with lying, there's a significant amount of gray area. Well, I don't think it's ever okay to lie. White lies? Fib. (laughs) Is what I like to call it, fibbing. To not hurt someone's feelings. I don't really think it's ever okay to lie, but I mean, I do lie sometimes. For the sake of somebody else's well-being. By principle, it's never okay to lie. I'm not going to say it's okay to lie, but... It's never okay to lie. And what's the last lie that you told? Oh, see which one? (laughs) I'll be honest with you, yesterday I lied to get out of work. (laughs) What's the last lie you told? Where is this going, on television or something? I don't know, probably to my mother-in-law when I said I had nothing bad to say about her. (laughs) That would probably be it. Twenty years ago, when we were moving here from Washington, we told our friends that we were moving to Chicago. So we got to Lake Bluff, where we live, and on the second day, our stuff still had not arrived. On the second day, we said to our kids, who were 10, 7, and 4, we're going to Chicago today. We're going to take... Go in, Navy Pier, you know, Museum of Science and Industry. We're going to go do Michigan Avenue. And they said, we're in Chicago. We said, not really. Uh, We're in Lake Bluff. We're going to go to Chicago. And they said, we told all our friends we were moving to Chicago. We said, yeah. And they go, but we don't live in Chicago? Not really. We lied to our friends? No, not really. But do we live in Chicago? No, We lied to our friends. You tell us not to lie. You lied. And we're like, okay. Turns out it's fairly challenging to explain that kind of an idea to kids that age. Perhaps you think it is a lie and that I'm not consequently qualified to talk about the Ninth Commandment, which tells us not to lie. Or specifically what it says is, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. So this commandment uh, is a commandment that, that tells us we are not to deceive others. We are not to, to let them uh, think or to lead them to believe things that we do not believe are true. Now, in the technical sense, it is framed in the context of a courtroom. Uh, we are being told uh, about how we need to be honest with the oaths that we make. For the record, this was in part because the Jews were trying to establish a a culture. They were trying to establish a healthy, just society. And in order to have a healthy, just society, God knew you had to have healthy courts. And in order to have healthy courts, you had to actually know what had happened. And in order to know what had happened in a time before fingerprint evidence and DNA testing and audio recordings and all the rest... In order to, to, to know what had actually happened, you relied pretty exclusively on the testimony of eyewitnesses. And so the, the statement is, eyewitnesses need to tell the truth. Now, 
as with all the other commandments, as we have seen, they get updated and expanded when they come into the New Testament. In particular, when Jesus gets a hold of them in the Sermon on the Mount and he gives us his sermon on the law, he expands what is said and it heads down a different path. And so we get that with Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Christ says, Again, you have heard it that it was said to people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So there, there are a few things to know here that we're going to move past very quickly. This in particular, is Christ responding to the ways people were making oaths that were designed to allow them to lie, right? So you made these oaths up to but not quite to God, and it's sort of like having your fingers crossed and you can get out of it. Secondly, uh, although there have been some down through the ages that have used this passage to say we should never make any oaths at any time, even in a court of law, uh, we see this with the Anabaptists, the Jehovah's Witnesses. We see it with the scenes back in the first century. Most people would argue, based on Scripture and other passages, that that's not, in fact, uh, an expectation. The third thing that I'll say is that um, there's a whole lot of discussion that fills the books about whether or not it's ever okay to lie. And in particular, this, this gets framed around the context of war. So the question is often in a philosophy class or a seminary classroom, is it right for a Christian to lie to a Nazi to save a Jew? Right? Let's find an extreme situation. Is it ever okay to lie? And the, the, the commandment technically says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I would say, yes, there are times, exceptional, unique, not very frequent times when lying is expected. Not just in war, I would also say that practical jokes are allowed for you to tell lies. And indeed, though some have suggested that it will be wrong this afternoon for the Chicago Bears defense to show a blitz when they're not actually intending to show a blitz, they are lying to the quarterback and trying to deceive him, that that is also okay. Now, I'm not actually going to go into detail on any of these things about whether or not we should ever take oaths, whether or not it's ever okay to tell a lie. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in that kind of thing, go online, go to the sermon, look at the footnotes. I go into some of that. I actually want us uh, to think about something that's a little bit bigger than this. I think the Ninth Commandment, in its essence, is bigger than simply talking about oaths, whether they are formal oaths, right? I swear to tell the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Or whether they're informal oaths, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I, I think that the, there's a, there is an, a, an essence here. The, the underpinning reality here is that we are to be people of integrity, people of honesty, and that our words matter. And so I want us uh, to think a little bit about all of that. So here's, here's the facts. I could give an entire sermon today on the ninth commandment as you think about it 
as you thought about it when you walked in. Don't lie. Okay, this will be a sermon on not lying. The fact is, lying is a bad thing, and there's a lot of lying that goes on. Um, I read several things this week, articles and books. Well, that would be a lie. I skimmed several books and articles this week on ethics and lying. And uh, I was a little shocked by what I discovered. There's a book out called uh, The Character Gap by, uh, by Christian Miller. He's a professor at Wake Forest. And uh, it's not a Christian book. It's an Oxford Press academic book. And, and in this, uh, his study as a professor has been on ethics and, and, and on lying. And he says that a third of the things that you hear and a third of the things that you say are lies. He went on uh, to say that in reports, only, excuse me, less than 10% of the people claim to always tell the truth. 90 plus percent of people say that they lie. And this is self-reporting which would suggest that probably the less than 10% that say they're always telling the truth, some of them are lying, and they're not always telling the truth. So in this book, Miller talks about who lies, when they lie, why they lie, what kind of lies we tell, you know, motivation for lying, and how to spot a liar, which he says we can't really do. That even people trained in spotting lies, CIA operatives and others, are only right 60% of the time, which is barely better than guessing, right? So there's all kinds of stuff on lying. I read a fascinating uh, article out of the Chronicle of Higher Education by Tom Bartlett in which he's talking about the meltdown that is taking place in the last five years in academia, academia generally, sciences, and particularly the social sciences specifically, where it is, it is looking at the fact that they have recently uncovered or discovered that as many as 60, 60% of the articles that are in refereed, peer-reviewed scientific journals rely on fabricated results. Right? 60% of the experiments in reputable, peer-reviewed journals like Science and Nature and others, those, the experiments cannot be replicated because the, 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 the experiments, the data was fabricated. Now, I'm reading this in the Chronicle of Higher Education, and so the first question I have is, okay, well, can I trust the 60% number? Or is that a lie? Did you make that up? Who knows? And that's part of what happens in a culture where people don't tell the truth. You don't know. But the fact of the matter is, we know we have a problem. I mean, just think about what we can observe. If you watch the news, you see news reports on the fact that people lie. You see news reports telling us that previous news reports were a lie. This week it was the GoFundMe campaign 
right? The, the, the woman that was supposedly given $20 by the homeless guy for a tank of gas, and, and, and they wanted to start a GoFundMe campaign, and they did, and, and raised $400,000 for this guy. And then it turned out, well, it looked like maybe uh, the, the, this couple was actually keeping some of the money. And now, recently, they've all gone to jail because it was all a lie. It was all fabricated. Well, then we have, uh, we also have uh, news reports that are, that are, that some would claim are a lie. So we have all the charges and countercharges of fake news. That's not real. And then we have news reports uh, that are, are exposing the news reporter. Brian Williams is a liar, right? Claims that he was in a helicopter that was shot down over a war zone. Turns out it didn't happen. Turns out numerous stories that Brian Williams have told didn't happen. So we just go down the list and say, all we have to do is be paying attention to know there's a whole lot of lying that goes on out there. And I could preach a sermon on that, but the fact of the matter is, you know that you shouldn't lie. Everybody basically thinks that you shouldn't lie. You can read business articles about not lying. So I want to go with something that is, that is a half step back from that. I want to make three points today that I think are important, and then an observation that I, I think is critical and I hope is encouraging. Three points today. Number one, truth exists. The commandment is to tell the truth. I want to just start by saying there is such a thing as truth. Now, some of you think, but of course there is truth. It's a ridiculous point to point out. Uh, But others of you are saying, how dare you make that power play by claiming that there is truth, right? And I am not about to let you say that your truth is truer than my truth. You've got your truth, I've got my truth, your truth is no truer than my truth. Everybody has their truth, right? That's, that's very much the, the, the sort of bleeding edge of the culture today. So um, my point is not that, that we are, have to fight for accuracy in reportings, that we have to wonder whether or not something happened, that we have to check our sources, go to Snopes, did this really happen? I'm not saying that. I'm saying there is a debate that goes on right now about whether or not truth exists. Now, this is not a one-level, a new discussion. We can go back to the the Gospels and see that when Jesus is being questioned by Pilate before Pilate sentences him to be crucified, they have a discussion about truth. And, And Pilate ends very famously, quote, est veritas, what is truth? Is there truth, right? Hard to know in the context exactly how philosophical Pilate was getting. But the fact of the matter is there have been discussions and debates about truth going way back. But recently we have moved into what many would call a postmodern, post-truth era. So 2016, the Oxford English Dictionary said their word of the year was post-truth. And The Economist magazine came out with a, with a cover story that said, we live in the post-truth era. So I don't know what post-truth means, but, but we are, we are, there's, a, there's a debate about whether or not truth is real. And so I, I want to say this. Look, we could, we could go philosophical and look at the epistemological assumptions when you're talking about truth and how you're going to verify things and what is ultimately real. 
I just want to say that this book in general, and the Ninth Commandment in particular, says there is truth. Right? There is a God, there is ultimate reality, and, and truth is grounded in his character. And, and there, there, is, there is a sense in which we have got to accept that. We, we have got to accept Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And, and this is, this is, these are fighting words today for, for many. Uh, we live in a postmodern, post-truth moment, but in the face of that, we are saying there actually is truth. Whether people believe it or not, there is truth. By the way, in the margin, let me just note, saying that there is truth and claiming that the Christian faith is true is not the same thing as saying that we know the truth. Like to see a little bit more humility with people, uh, given how many times we have been proven to be wrong in our opinions. We, we ought to recognize that we are often confused, either by the father of lies, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and, and, and Satan is the father of lies, the anti-truth character. So we're either deluded, or sometimes we're just confused on our own. So there, there, there needs to be humility, even as we talk about truth. But point number one, truth exists. Point number two, we are expected to embrace truth. Truth exists, and we are expected as Christ followers to pursue truth, to embrace truth, to change our will to conform with truth. We are expected to be those that are going to follow the one who claims to be truth. Now, we are free legally, according to a Supreme Court decision about 10 years ago, to define our own reality. One of the Supreme Court justices wrote that. We are free to define our own reality. So legally, you have the right to define your own reality. And that's actually not a bad thing. We live in a land where you can believe whatever you want to believe. There's freedom of religion. And that's a, that's a wonderful and precious privilege that we enjoy in this country. Not everywhere do they have that. However... We are not free to make up reality. And, and today, increasingly, what people want to do is to say, this is what I believe is true. This is what I want to be true. This is how I'm going to define reality. In, faith, in, in spite of the facts, in spite of other things, I am going to define truth, or I'm going to declare that this is true. So, legally we have that right, but... Before God, if you're a Christ follower, we do not have that right. To be a Christ follower in one sense is to be a, a servant, to be a slave. Jesus became a slave on our behalf. We are to put down our rights, follow Christ, die to self. And part of being a Christ follower says, I am going to conform my world, my vision, my values, my ethics my thoughts, I'm going to work to increasingly bring them to be parallel to those of Jesus Christ, who is 
the way, the truth, and the life. Truth exists, and we are expected to pursue truth, to pursue Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not easy to do, but it does work. So one of the things that we see today is people pushing back on the fact that they don't like the consequences for the choices they make. They want to pursue a path that is in many ways contrary to what we would say is true, but then they don't like the consequences of those choices. So choosing to submit to God, to follow his law, to try and become more and more like Christ, that's not easy. As you know, that's not easy to do. That is an ongoing struggle. But it does work. (laughs) So spiritual growth is its own reward. The more we become like Christ, the more we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Self-control. The more we become like Christ, the more we enjoy self-control. But it requires that that we conform our thinking, our lives, to Christ. Number three, words matter. There is truth. We are expected to pursue it. Number three, words matter. Our words matter. Your words matter more than you think. Now, we see this in a variety of different places in Scripture. We see it. I read a passage out of Exodus. I read something out of Matthew. Uh, We could look at the book of Proverbs. We could go back to the book of Matthew where in Matthew 15, Jesus says that we are accountable, you are accountable, I am accountable for every word I say. Right? So Jesus warns us not to engage in a lot of idle words because God takes our words seriously, and I would go beyond that. Let me read a passage to you out of James because James chapter 3 has got a, an extended section on our words. James 3.1 Uh, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I think in part, I I don't like this passage, as you might imagine, but I think in part, one of the reasons the teachers are subject to greater judgment is because they have more words, right? This morning, I, I leave this morning with a lot more words than everyone else, right? So, uh... Our words matter. We've got to be careful about our words. Teachers have to be careful. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what they say, they are perfect, able to bridle the whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look also at ships. Though they are so large, they're driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member of the body, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, Reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. So this goes on for a while longer, basically saying 
that we've got to be very careful about what we say and that we often say things that we're going to regret. I, I want to, there's a lot that we could say about talking and language and the power of words. I want to make just one point out of this. We need to be careful what we say because words have power. We need to be careful about what we say because words have power. So, you know in the one hand that words have power over others. Growing up, we hear, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that, of course, is a lie. It, it, is, it is wrong theologically, it is wrong psychologically, it is wrong socially, it's just wrong in every way. Right? What we ought to say is sticks and stones can hurt, but words can pollute and corrupt and maim my soul. Words can go a whole lot deeper than, than, uh, than sticks and stones. So there's a sense in which we understand the power of words over, of, over other people. I think the point out of James, uh, and I think a point that, that emerges out of the Exodus passage, the, the Ninth Commandment, is that our words actually have great power over us. Now, on the one hand, we, we sort of, we get this intuitively because uh, our words shape our reputation. So if we are a liar, if we engage in a lot of idle words, if we brag, if, if we exaggerate, right, if, if, if we gossip, all of those words negatively impact us. Initially, our words might hurt other people. If we tell a lie, initially someone believes that lie and their life is frustrated. But over time, the damage is really done to us, in part to our reputation. I had a sibling who 20 years ago went through what we refer to as the creative period, where there was a lot of creating of things and stories. And and we didn't understand this for some time. And then when the lies came out, as they almost always do, then there's a whole lot of damage control. And there's, there's a, life gets harder. The problem with lying is then you become known as a liar. And when you're a liar, <laughs> then people don't trust you, right? I mean, it's just, now they don't know whether you're telling the truth or not. And so, our, our reputation gets damaged. Our life gets harder by lies. I'm actually making a slightly different point here. I think there is a, there is a, a deeper level at which we need to understand our words have power in our own life. <clears throat> when we speak, we are, we are forming and sort of authorizing our thoughts. Right? We, are, we are pulling together ideas and we're giving them a sense of power and validity. I'm not going to say <clears throat> this is the name it and claim it stuff that we occasionally hear on TV where people say, if you will just, you know, if you'll just name it, then you're speaking reality into existence. You have the power of creativity. You're made in the image of God. Child of God, you just need to name what you want and claim it. If you have enough faith, you'll get it. I'm not saying that. <clears throat> But I am saying <laughs> that what we talk about does shape us, and it does matter. 
And we need to be alert to that. Uh, we live in a postmodern, uh, post truth world, but there is power in words and truth matters. And what we need to do is we need to fill our mind with positive, truth filled, biblically based ideas because those are going to shape our soul and our character. And to the extent that we traffic in untruths and, and, and we live there and we repeat those things, we are pulling our own selves down. I, I, don't, I, I don't quite know how to articulate this. I, there's... There's a statement I've heard people make, you know, whether you say you can or you say you can't, both are true. If I say I can or I say I can't, both are true. And that's a little bit of sort of the pep talk kind of language that I'm suspicious of. But I also think there is something to that. <laughs> if I tell myself I can't, I probably can't. And if I tell myself I can, I got a fighting chance of getting it done. Our words are reflecting our thoughts. We have got to be a lot more disciplined in our thoughts than we often are. The first, the first people we lie to is ourselves. And we need to be a whole lot more thoughtful, biblically formed, and disciplined in the kind of things that we are thinking about and saying in the words that we share with others, in the words that we say to ourselves, in the words that we write in journals, in the words that we sing. I think that there is a power in these words that we are often unaware of, and it is a power over us as well. So we should think about things that are true, things that are right, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are uh, admirable, things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. This is Paul's admonition to us in Philippians 4. One observation. I said there were three points in an observation. Point number one, truth exists. Point number two, we're expected to conform our lives to truth. Point number three, our words matter. Here's the observation. We can break the ninth commandment in a very different way. So we break the ninth commandment straight up by telling lies, by being duplicitous. We break the ninth commandment by, uh, by exaggerating. We break the ninth commandment in white lies. We break the ninth commandment in breaking promises. There's a lot of different ways that we break the ninth commandment. When we go to Ephesians and we see the, the, the idea of truth being expanded, we see that we are not simply to speak truth, but we are to speak truth in love. And so I want to say... That, that what we get commanded to is not a, a truth that is, that is malicious. And I, I say this as a pastor because there are people who, who sort of power up and say, I'm simply telling the truth. I'm simply telling this person what is real. And I, I, sometimes I don't disagree. Yes, that's true. But you're, it's not loving. And... I'm not saying that we sacrifice truth to love. I'm saying I think we got to figure out how to have both wings on this plane if we want this plane to fly. Truth and love. 
And it's not easy. And I would just point out, it's not easy for God. And just step back and think for a second. God can create the world. God can speak things into existence. God can do just about everything. God cannot, he could not say, all sins are forgiven. Right? He, couldn't, he couldn't do that. Because that wouldn't be true. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be just. And so he wants to be loving. He is loving. And in order to preserve truth and love, we see centuries of, of maneuvering through the Old Testament to, to deliver his son through the promises that were given. And then his son is going to die in our place. And then, and then God is going to be able to say both the worst things about us and the best things about us. We are sinners, liars, broken. We deserve death and hell and separation from God. But he loves us. He made us in his image and he will adopt us to be children. He finds a way, all right, not easy to hold together truth and love. And that, I think, ultimately is what we get called to when we think about the ninth commandment and we think about how we are going to inter- interact with people. And I'll say it again. It's not easy. I think a lot of times we tell white lies, fibs, because we're not willing to invest in that person. Not, we're not willing to spend the time. We're not willing to figure out what love would do. We're not willing to treat them like an adult. So we treat them as somehow less than us, not able to handle the truth. Are there times when you don't say something? Yes. Are there, are there times, especially with children, where you, where, you are, where you are not wanting them to know certain things for their own good? Yes. Are there times you just have to be quiet? Or are there times when we've got to redirect somebody? Yes. It's complicated. It's complicated. I will, I will acknowledge that it's complicated. But I will say, look, we are being called to be people of integrity. We're being called to be people of truth. Truth exists. We need to embrace it. We need to understand that our words matter. And we need to, to both be challenged by the idea that, that holding together truth and love was a tremendous work of God, and we need to figure out how to do it ourselves. And we also need to be encouraged by the truth and love of God. Right? So the truth and love of God is that we are broken, we are sinful, we have lied. Right? We are duplicitous. We are, we, are, we are not people of the kind of integrity that we want to be. We need to own that. He knows the worst about us. And yet, uh, he loves us. And his son has made a way for us. So, start by being honest with yourself. It's hard. It's the hardest thing to do. And many people don't slow down long enough to actually look hard in the mirror. We rationalize and we move on. Start by being honest with yourself. Then, honest with God. God knows the truth. Read the book of Psalms. Lots of really, really harsh things said to God by David and others. Right? There's an honesty to God. If you can get honesty with yourself and honesty with God, then honesty with other people is a whole lot easier. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for... uh, your love, your grace. Thank you that you are a God who is true. There is no 
There is no lying in you. There's no shadow in you. There's no darkness in you. You are a God of love. You are a God of justice. Thank you for finding ways to be both loving and truthful. We confess brokenness. We confess that we are, we are often confused. We confess that we are often uh, deceived. And we confess that there are times when we just know that what we're saying is not true and it's said. Forgive us for uh, our shortfalling, our sin in so many different ways. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Help us to be people of integrity. Help us to be people who are loving and truthful as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.